Come enjoy the best brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. You may be owed some money. After 911 and 411, call 541. That's 727-541-1741. Call Gulfstream Motorsports for a diminished value report. Due to my 28 years experience in the auto salvage business, I'm very good with wrecks. So if your car has been involved in a wreck, call me for a diminished value report. Call 727-541-1741. You may be owed some money for the lost value of your repaired vehicle. And visit us at GulfstreamMotorsports.com. all its own. The world's racing greats from 14 countries annually splash this quiet citrus belt town with the color and panoply of a coronation. But in this case, several crowns are to be awarded. For Sebring is many races in one. 26 class races, in fact, in three divisions. Prototypes. Cars designed as forerunners of future racers. Ford Mark IIs. Ferrari P3s. 180 mile an hour proofs. Sports prototypes. At least 50 of the same car must have been manufactured in this division. Ford GTs, Porsche 904s, Triumphs, top speeds in the middle hundreds. Grand Touring, closest to a normal street machine. MGs, Porsches, Stingrays, passenger car gone racing. The route to the throne is arduous and exhausting. 12 hours round and round over 5.2 miles of airport runway and blacktop. It's not easy. Very, very difficult. It's just a grind, hard grind. Brakes and engine all the time. There's a lot of places where you get up to very high speeds and then you're breaking down to just five miles an hour virtually. And it's uh, this is very, very difficult. The brakes get up 17, 1800 degrees in temperature. The first two bends past the pits are very difficult because they're the fastest corners on the uh, circuit. And uh, fast corners are always tricky. Uh, I think at nighttime it's uh, particularly difficult to find the apex of the corner, especially with these rubber co cones because you suddenly sort of you line up in one of them and the next lap you come around somebody's tighted it and it's not there anymore. You can find yourself in difficulty. This course is probably the most challenging in the world, uh, including Le Mans. I think Le Mans is easier than, than uh, Sebring. The surface is so rough. Uh, the cars get taxed, the drivers get taxed a great deal more here than anywhere else in the world. Oh, it's tiring. You know, there's not an awful lot of rest here. You know, you work pretty darn hard. A lot of hard braking and all that sort of stuff. Our trackside experts, National Speed Sports News Editor Chrissy Konamaki and former U.S. road racing champ Bob Holbert. Bob's logged over 10,000 miles on this course, winning six class victories in seven years, driving everything from Fort to Shelby Cobras. 
Bob, what does it take to win? Well, Chris, first of all, it takes a good car and it takes a good driver. The driver has to know the capabilities of his car and himself, and he has to be able to set a 12-hour pace that he can maintain. It takes pit work and it takes teamwork. We have a team and a team manager, and most important of all, it takes good strategy planning by the team manager and the team. And now... Hey, Rocky, watch me pull a rabbit out of my hat. Again? Button up my sleeve. Presto! <laughs> no doubt about it. I gotta get another hat. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Well, hello, this is uh, Jackie X. You're listening to uh, Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Welcome, you're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. I'm your show host, Robert. Run your computers and Google Tantalk1340.com, and we can, uh, you can see us live here in the studio. Hey, Tommy, is my mic on? Sounds like it. It is? Okay, what I wasn't you do sure. there? I don't you know. Around? Yeah, I moved around there. Anyway, so... Uh, oh, yeah, by the way, hi, Tommy. <laughs> oh, hi. Is your mic on? No, no, no yeah, it's all right. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Uh, which, 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 which switch? Anyway, okay, hey, uh, just in case, uh, you can go to our website, golfstreetwithersports.com, and you can find out all about us. If you've missed any of our past shows, I think we're close to 500 now. Uh, go to our uh, archive page, Nostalgic Radio and Cards, you can find out all about us. No, wait a minute, you can listen to all the shows, the past shows we had in the last, coming up on 10 years, May 13th, no, May 13th, no, June, May, somewhere, May, May 13th, I think it was. Anyway, of course, Bobby's listening, my son, and uh, if I say anything wrong or I am not accurate on any of my uh, dialogue, he will promptly text me and correct me. So we have, uh, we have uh, what do we call that? We call that a um, uh, checks and balances. By the way, I got my buddy IG sitting there. Hang on there. We have our resident pharmacist. It's the IG... Uh, wait, what's that thing? We have that one TV radio show. It's called Pharmacy Ben. Is that what it's called, Tommy? Okay. On the bright side. On the bright side. Okay, so we're going to have uh, Pharmacy IG or Pharmacy Fonte. How would you like to do that, Mr. Fonte? <laughs> Dr. Either Fonte. Way. Either yeah. way. Okay, so, uh, yeah, well, you have to have a resident. Hey, I, I, considering all the, uh, I don't want to say stress, but I guess you could say stress, all this stuff I got going on, I have to have myself uh, uh, nutritionally... Um, and you got your own personal doctor. Here, I have my Robert. own personal how doctor. Yeah, how about that? I have my <laughs> own personal doctor that sits in on the radio show with me. By the way, Alan, sorry, I, uh, I, 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 we didn't get you on the show here, but uh, we'll have to do that another time. We got to get Alan back on the show too. But um, Alan just kind of showed up a little bit, and well, the show was kind of already pre-planned. No big deal. Uh, Alan's got some pretty good stories for us. We, uh, Alan is kind of like our regular compu- uh, contributor. That uh, he's probably the most well-read. Uh, listener that I have, and he corrects me historically and mechanically, and well, he can't beat me in cars. He can beat me on just about everything else, you know. But he, but I have a little broader, Alan. If you're listening, my knowledge on cars is a little broader than yours. I will say that you are better read, and you can always go to your road and tracks, and your car and drivers, and your sports car digest, and all the auto weeks, whatever else you have for reference material laying around, and you can always put me in check. Which is okay. I like that because you know that's the whole thing. Is you have to this the whole. It's all about. It's a learning process, right, IG? Absolutely. You know, you have to sit there and uh, you have to uh, be open minded. And the problem is with you know, like what I like about Alan. Alan has all these 
uh, magazines and stuff that were written back in the day. So all the information at the time was fresh and written by journalists that had firsthand information, firsthand, uh, you know, um, access to these vehicles that they could do, you know, testing and track uh, events and, 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 and all that stuff. So the information is kind of like genuine. <laughs> Excuse me, <coughs> doctor. I'm coughing. Uh, <laughs> it's not, it's I'm not wearing the, my mask now. Thank okay, you. Wearing mask. okay, it's not the it's not the Yingling virus, right? I mean, the carna. Car, I wouldn't get Corona beer if it uh, if you gave it to me. You talk about Mexican prairie dog wee wee. Did I just say that on the air? I did, didn't I? Uh, yeah, that's okay. Bleep, bleep. I don't. They don't. Uh, <laughs> hey, they're not one of our sponsors, but we are working on Yingling. So Yingling is good. So if there's a Yingling virus, that one I can put up with. Uh, you know. Speaking of the coronavirus, now let me let me just sit there and say this. Now, uh, well, let's do a, a uh, FLA Car Shows Minute here. And um, obviously, if you want to find out where all the car shows are and all the cool stuff that's happening and taking place, go to flacarshows.com. So if there's a car show in Florida, it's probably on flacarshows.com. Now, having said that, Amelia Island is the big event is this weekend, okay? Uh, St. Pete Grand Prix is next weekend, and the 12-hour Sebring is, I think, the week after that, or two weeks after that. Okay, so here's the deal. So I just got my, my, my uh, I get these uh, press releases all the time. And the reason I'm joking and making fun of this coronavirus crap, because, you know, we don't, A, you can't trust the government, you don't know what they're doing, and I'm not really going to get into politics, we're not really a political show. Um, but... It, you know, it's like anything else. Over the years, you know, uh, it's it would be fair to say that uh, propaganda, which is usually propagated by uh, governments to instill fear in people, as is in the Cold War when you and I were growing up, which was a joke. But now we have this new bug that they call the that's made up, created, whatever you know. And it's called the coronavirus. Now, it is having some negative effects on people. And it's also affecting everything from the stock market to uh, travel to what did you say today? People were actually, there's a run on uh, Kleenexes. Hand and sanitizer, hand masks, san- masks, gloves. Gloves. That's amazing. I mean, we were at the uh, the last four or five car shows I went to between Scottsdale, Meekum, here, the Guitar Expo. Nobody wanted to shake hands. They just wanted to do a fist bump. Here, I'll fist bump you, or, or they do you a forearm bump. I'm going, really? Okay, so having said that, I just got a pr- news release or a press release from uh, Amelia Island saying that they're fully aware of the coronavirus, and they're fully aware that uh, if you have any issues, contact, is it the CDC? Is that what it's called? Mm-hmm. Center okay. of Disease Control. Exactly. Center of Disease Control, correct. Okay. And that uh, there will be hand sanitizer stations, extra ones, set up all around the Amelia Island uh, concourse event and all the other peripheral events that are taking place. So basically, we have this scare. It's affecting everything and everyone. Okay, now, they're saying it's going to have an effect on the economy. Now, what's going to be real interesting is since it supposedly has an effect on the economy, let's see what it's going to do when we get to the auction. So you have Bonham's auction, you have Gooding's auction, you have Russo and Steel there, and you have RM. Those are the four major auctions and uh, that will be there this year. So it'd be interesting to see if it really has an effect. Because, you know, the media does one thing, but our car culture is a little different world. Okay, I mean, car guys... Like, really? For real? Come on. Hey, it's a joke. We don't take it serious. Um, but Amelia Island being probably the premier automotive event in the United States now, uh, from a concourse perspective, is attracts people from all over the world. It's a worldwide event. World-class event. 
you know? And so you're going to have people from all over the world. So it, it's going to be real interesting to see what happens. And naturally, it's this weekend, and I will be there, of course. And uh, we'll, if, I'll, I'll let you guys know next week. I'll share some of the stories with you because I'm real curious myself. Am I going to be cautious? Absolutely. Am I going to walk up to somebody and breathe on somebody? No. Am I going to let somebody breathe on me? No. Now, Dr. Fonte. Sure. So if if a person is at a major event right now, and there is, and what's interesting is because, uh, I mean, you see this periodically, people walking around with masks and gloves now. So what's your take on the whole thing? Actually, that's one of the things that the CDC is actually talking about in a way of prevention. What can you do since there is no vaccine out there to go ahead and, and prevent this virus from... from what exactly is it? I mean, what, is you, what do you know about it so far? I mean, Well, first of all, coronavirus is nothing new. Coronavirus is actually a family of viruses. Okay. We've all had some kind of some form of flu in the past and, and, uh, and some illness in the past. And it's been a coronavirus. The thing that's different about this one, according to WHO, that is the World Health Organization, is this is oh, I thought that was a joke. That's really real. It's called the World Health Organization. Yeah, no, no, no. All it's right, a, my they, mistake. Yeah, I did not, not know that. It's not the Who, as in the music group. Trust me, Robert. <laughs> okay, or the Guess Who, as in the Canadian musical group. All right, so here's the deal. The reason we're talking about this is because I got, and why it's relevant to the show this evening is because Amelia Island is coming up, and because I got a, a, a press release pertaining to it. So I just thought it would be kind of an interesting topic because there's a lot of people that may or may not know, but since you're a an authority, technically, because you're well, a doctor, not really a, I know enough to be dangerous. You know enough <laughs> to be dangerous. Okay. So, but it's in your wheelhouse, let's say. Yes. Okay. Yes. So when you say coronavirus, is, is the name coronavirus, is that a generic term or is that specifically labeling this particular virus? No, no, no. That's, it's actually a family of viruses. Okay. This particular virus is actually called COVID-19. Oh, COVID-19. COVID, yeah, in okay. COVID-19. And the COVID, the CO, of course, for corona, the VI for virus, and the D for disease. The World Health Organization, the one that got together and said, hey, we're going to call this COVID-19. And the thing is, is on this, it's something that's, um, that's something new that has never been cataloged before. That's where the N comes from that's put in front of it. N stands for new? It actually stands for... Something? Something else. <laughs> okay. But let's just but, use no, new they, for I right think it's now. like Novo. Okay. So, but, uh, but anyway, it's just one of those things that they don't have any idea where it comes from. They know it is zoonological meaning that it comes from animals. You have an animal oh, really? host, yes. Mm-hmm. Years ago, you had a coronavirus that was what they call SARS, okay? Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. Was that the thing that took place in Japan there that one time? China, yeah, China. China. Mm-hmm. Okay. And they had another one that was MERS, which was the Middle East Acute oh. Respiratory. Oh, and they all knew and the it, corona mm-hmm. label, so to speak? Right, because it's a family of viruses. Okay. And this whole thing, the reason it's so scary out there is it is so contagious. These viruses, they, they're actually smaller than bacteria. And what happens is you'll go ahead, somebody will sneeze, somebody will cough, and all of a sudden you get those droplets in the air. You can't even see it, such a small mist. And then all of a sudden, bingo, goes into your nose, your eyes. Really? Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we need to be extra, extra cautious. Right. Okay. Right. And again, what they're recommending is make sure that you go ahead and clean your hands, soap and water. 
uh, hand sanitizers, alcohol-based. Make sure you do that. I mean, these viruses can last a long time. Now, and is this one lethal? It I mean, can be. It, it can be. Oh, yes. I mean, it can go ahead. It can cause pneumonia. It can go ahead and proceed to uh, becoming septic, kidney failure, and death. Oh. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So what does it basically do? Does it attack the immune system somehow? Is that what it does? Or? Mm-hmm. Yep. So if you have a weak immune system, you're mm-hmm. in trouble? You're more susceptible. You're more susceptible. Yeah. So for the average person, everybody is in trouble. And someone as old as you, Robert. Oh, yeah, yeah. We can't forget that. <laughs> hey. Now, wait a minute. When Dave hey, was I'm here. I'm glad you said that, Tommy, not me. When Dave was here, <laughs> we used to talk about before Marconi. So in my case, we can talk about, oh, I don't know. Before, well, we can't say before the wheel was invented because Marconi came after that. But at any rate, okay. So, point well taken. <laughs> All right, so what can people do? Load themselves up with vitamin C? I mean, what, uh, I mean, what can you do? Is there anything you can do? To, what do you do to build up your immune system real quick? Uh, vitamin C is definitely a good thing. That's just one thing. Another thing you can really do is probiotics. Uh, your probiotics or what? Probiotics are friendly intestinal bacteria. Okay. And what they do is they actually... An example of that? um, You can go uh, acidophilus, for example. Oh, really? Is one... mm -hmm, There's a lot of different strains of... uh, Probiotics. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then next one you're saying? And then the other thing is is, uh, your diet. You know, the way you can go ahead and if you can eat better, eat healthier, that's always going to help your immune system. And one of the biggest things that I always say... Water. Water. Water Water is life. Water is life. Absolutely. How is your body going to get rid of any toxins to take care of itself unless you have enough water to help expel all that? Get it out of your body. Good point. Very good point. On that note, Tommy, let's play a little song that I think would probably be very appropriate at this point in time, right? Are we talking about uh, 10 years after? How about this? Here's a little 10 years after. Uh... I'd like to change the world. Hey, you're tuning in to Nostalgic Radio Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Tell me where sanity. Brews in Tampa Bay at Dunedin Brewery. Known as Florida's oldest microbrewery, they are always working to create a unique variety of craft beers for every taste. In addition, Dunedin Brewery features a full menu, including everything from their famous wings, burgers, salads, flatbreads, and more. Don't forget about their live music, including the Wednesday Night Players Jam. That's Dunedin Brewery, 937 Douglas Avenue in downtown Dunedin. Visit them online at dunedinbrewery.com. 
Looking for car shows? Then look no further than flacarshows.com. On your computer or on your mobile device, flacarshows.com is a comprehensive list of automotive events plus videos and news articles. Whether you're looking for car shows, cruise-ins, meetups, automotive festivals, cars and coffees, or anything else relating to an internal combustion engine, then this is a site for you. Check it out online or on your phone at flacarshows.com. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned into Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and Tommy brought up a very, very good point. I'm going to have to give Tommy credit for a million-dollar idea. Tommy comes walking in here and says, I got a million-dollar idea for you. Go ahead, tell us our million-dollar ideas. Your idea, Tommy. Is the surgical face mask emblazoned with the Nostalgic Radio and Cars logo? That's walk around the concourse, promote the show, and feel safe. Absolutely. Wow. Why didn't you tell me that a week ago? <laughs> Darn, that's an excellent idea. Oh, I forgot idea. to that's also mention Bill idea. Cochran wasn't feeling too good earlier. <laughs> hey, I want to say special thanks to my good buddy Bill Cochran. And the next of his name of the show is the America Only in America Minute, right? Or Only in America? Is that what? Okay, yeah, Bill. Tune in to Bill. He's every uh, Tuesday. He's the hour before us between, what, five and six? Or six and seven. Six and seven. Like All right. Uh, one more event that took place last weekend was the National Mustang Racing Association. And I just had a scheduling conflict. Otherwise, I would have gone to that. And then SVRA was at Sebring last weekend, too. And they had a tribute to uh, Trans Am. We played a little clip on the for the uh, 67. Uh, or No, that's actually coming up. But there was Sebring. But the... Uh, First Sebring, the first Trans Am race was in Sebring, I think, in 1966. And if I remember correctly, Bob Tullius won that. Or it was the Tullius and his dart or somebody in a Mustang, one of the two, which was kind of odd. And um, But anyway, this weekend in Bradenton is the National Musk Car Association racing lots of fun car stuff going on. So if you can make it to that, make it to that. Other than that, you need to be at Amelia Island. Anyway, on that note, uh, all right, so we're all going to be wearing masks that say Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And uh, darn, gloves, all that kind of stuff. Why Hand sanitizer, compliments of Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Why didn't I think of that? And I'm supposed to be like a marketing person. I was asleep at the wheel there, Mr. IG, Dr. Well, Fonte. you know what? I'll give you my lab coat, and you can take that with you, and we can go ahead and put Nostalgic Radio and Cars all along the back of your lab coat. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and I can hand out something. Okay, good. All right. So, well, we've got a few minutes here left, but I'll tell you what. I think it's going to be time here to bring on our special guest for the evening. So, Tommy, why don't you go ahead and fire up the uh, stereo again? we got another uh, cool 60s song coming up. And then we're going to have a special guest for the evening. And uh, you're tuning into Nostalgia Getting Cars. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. Good sense, ill sense, crippling mankind. Dead kings, many things I can define. Occasions, buzz, wagons, butter your mind. Incense and compliments, the color of time. Side is the least you can do. Be 
If the new Cougar is supposed a serious challenge to the established cars, its mechanical preparation will have to be the finest available. The man selected to carry this heavy burden is the wily and experienced Bud Moore. A potent combination in Trans-American Sedan racing this year is Bud Moore and Dan Gurney for Mercury Cougar. Bud, preparing cars much different for road racing than it is for the oval track? Sure is. It's quite a bit of difference. We're getting a good experience uh, with these uh, little Cougars on these road courses. You sure know how to pick your drivers, though. Oh, yeah. We've got some of the greatest. And here's one of them, Dan Gurney. Dan, you're usually in the big prototype cars for the Sebring race, but here you're in a Cougar. Is there much difference in the way you drive them? Uh, not really, Chris. You're... You try and do the best you can, and that's it. The green flag waves at Sebring, Florida to start the second round of the Trans-American Sedan Racing Championship. A Mustang with Jerry Titus at the wheel leads with Dan Gurney's Cougar right next to him. Going into the first turn, Gurney is edged slightly ahead of Titus. Milton Minter in another Mustang is third, followed by Mark Donahue's Camaro and the Cougars of Parnelli Jones and Ed Leslie. A slight skid by Gurney has dropped him back into sixth, running with Leslie and Jones. This gives the lead to Jerry Titus. He's been a racing journalist for many years, but only recently has he begun to show his truly impressive form as a driver. In second now behind the Mustang is Donahue's Camaro. A fine car and a very aggressive driver. challenges Parnelli Jones in third. The life of the leader in this race is not an easy one. He has to go all out or he'll be eaten alive by the hungry horde of headhunters dogging his heels. Donahue is close and the three Cougars are only a few lengths back waiting for their chance. Titus is setting a fierce pace, lashing his Mustang around the course at maximum RPM. The leaders are already lapping the tail of the pack in their rampaging chase around this 5.2-mile airport circuit. Titus and his pursuing Furies are averaging just under 100 miles an hour in their battle for a Sebring win. Both Gurney and Jones are in the pits together with mechanical trouble. Gurney's clutch is broken, and Jones has lost a rocker ball. It's all over for these two Cougars. As the story of Sebring moves into its last minutes, Jerry Titus maintains his unbreakable grip on first place, leaving an awesome string of broken cars and bested drivers behind him. Ed Leslie is running an unhappy fifth, while Gurney and Jones sit in the pits, watching the force go by. For the Cougar crew, this has been a dark day indeed. Das ist Jochen Maas, hallo. Und Sie hören Nostalgic Radio und Autos. Wunderbar. Okay, we're back in your tunes into Subject Video Cars. It's time to introduce our special guest for the evening. This gentleman is no stranger to racing, GT racing, all kinds of racing. He is the legendary motorsports commentator and good friend of mine, Bob Varsha. Bob, how you doing, buddy? Good, Robert. Good to hear from you again. Yes. Well, I had to play that because Sebring's coming up. Uh, I think it was, I uh, forget which year it was, uh, the what, 54th running of uh, celebration of uh, Sebring, and I think the Trans Am racing in Sebring, wasn't that in 1966? Wasn't that the very first Trans Am race? Um, I think it was a little bit later than that, but one way or another, it's great to hear all those great names and car names and so forth racing around Sebring, which is uh, one of my favorite races in the world, I have to admit. 
So how you been? What are you up to these days? Well, I'm going through a bit of a personal health crisis right now, as a lot of your listeners probably already know. Uh, I'm going through chemotherapy for prostate cancer and um, looking forward to the clouds parting and some sunshine in the next couple of months. So how did this all come about? I mean, the prostate is one of those things that's really a curable deal, but if you don't catch it right away, it can become uh, and it's something that most guys need to be thinking about, correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, nobody needs to be introduced to the idea of cancer as a, as a disease group. But um, for men, particularly African-American men, it's, um, it's a lot more common than people are willing to recognize. One in every three or four men will have some contact with it during the course of their life. As for me, mine uh, pretty much came out of nowhere. I was having regular checkups, and uh, suddenly there was something there, and that led to biopsies and, and treatments and all the sorts of things that I've been going through since the first of the year. And, um, and here we are. But it's good advice to all the men out there, particularly as you get older, to, uh, to visit your urologist and get all the various tests. And that includes both PSA-level tests and uh, digital rectal exams, which is not the most comfortable examination format in the world, but <laughs> it gives the doctor hands-on, literally, uh, experience of what's going on at your prostate. So I recommend it highly. Well, now, when you say digital, am I thinking digital, or am I thinking... You're uh, thinking a doctor's finger. That's digital? That's, yeah, that's a digit. Oh, okay, I get it. It goes right to your prostate and checks it by feeling it. Ah, okay, I got you, okay. All right, so you're right, that's not exactly um, the most pleasant um, scenario. Of course... Nope, but if it saves your life, it's worth it. It's worth it. Well, now, so were there any symptoms or anything like that? No, none at all, really. Um, and that's a curious thing. Uh, the thing about prostate cancer is the traditional method of detecting it is through so-called PSA levels. You right. take a blood test, they measure. But my particular strain of the disease, and everybody is different, includes a component that does not affect PSA levels at all. Oh, really? So had I not had the physical exam, um, I might have gone wanting into 2020 and not knowing that there was something badly amiss in my prostate and uh and i wouldn't have known and god knows what would have happened so let um, me ask let me ask you this so, so if you have an enlarged prostate it doesn't mm -hmm. necessarily mean that you have cancer or it's malignant in any way shape or form no. correct no enlarged prostates are, are are even more common among men as we get older okay um but uh, it's it's a sign that you need to be a lot more diligent in your in your research and in your testing okay. to uh, see if in fact it includes a, a cancer element that may or may not be malignant. It could be completely benign. Uh, since my case became public knowledge, uh, I've been totally overwhelmed with the the amount of supportive messages from people. But I've also had a substantial, even a surprising number of personal histories from people who either they themselves or brothers or uncles or fathers or children or whatever uh, have been through uh, prostate cancer. It's, uh, it's out there, and it's common, and you need to be on the lookout for it. So if it doesn't show up on a PSA, 
and you have an enlarged prostate, and mm-hmm. you're still not 100% sure that you might have any potential cancer, then what's the next step? Is it the, bio- the, the, the biopsy thing? Is that it? Well, if you have the, the digital exam, the doctor can actually feel the gland and, and make a, a decision one way or the other. The next step is typically a uh, biopsy. Okay. And, and you go in and you get a, that procedure, and you get it analyzed and, uh, and see what comes up. Okay. I should say that it, it, this particular cancer is so common that a lot of guys have it to a level that doctors don't prescribe any particular treatment. It puts you on something called active surveillance, meaning, okay, it's there, but it's not doing anything. It's benign, but let's keep an eye on it. And that's good advice. Okay, so now what about medication and, I mean, besides, so take us through the procedure here. I actually have a real good friend of mine who's sitting with me who is a doctor at pharmacy, and we were talking a little bit earlier about the coronavirus because I got a memo and a news bulletin or a news uh, press release about the coronavirus and the uh, mm-hmm. the extra precautions that they're taking in Amelia Island this weekend, you know, with the sanitary yep. stations around there. Yep. So since I just thought this, we could tie this whole thing in, and uh, I just thought it would be kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those clubs you don't want to be a member of. No, no, um, no. <laughs> Definitely not. No, I, mean, if, I, I have to say, I am very impressed with your knowledge of, of this uh, situation. Well, it, it, it just makes sense to me if you're looking at what could very conceivably be a life-threatening situation, you owe it to yourself to become as knowledgeable as you can be and to find the very best doctors you can find. Absolutely. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's great doctors out there and there's maybe not so great doctors out there and, and human beings doctors are human beings as well so they they tend to look for things along the lines of their personal knowledge and experience but basically the the three treatment options that are out there for you are um are, are pharmaceutical uh, medical oncology as they call it radiology or radiological oncology and surgery just removing the gland entirely in an effort to remove the cancer. Um, typically, some combination of those three things will wind up being where you go. Right now, I've been going through chemotherapy because my particular case, and everybody is different, um, includes a, uh, a bit of a nastier strain of the disease that is not best attacked through surgery, which was the original plan. Instead, we decided to go with chemotherapy to try to control one element of what's there, one component of the disease. And um, if we're successful at that, then we move on to the next step, which may be some combination of one or more of the other treatments out there. But the thing about cancer, and I think every doctor would tell you this, is the, what's known about the disease and the treatment options and technologies are developing so quickly that, as the saying goes among the doctors, any book written about cancer more than five years old is worthless because everything has changed so much in the last five years. And that's been true since, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I I was sitting in the infusion room getting my chemo and grabbed a book off a nearby bookshelf, and it was written by an Atlanta writer, oddly enough, who was uh, talking about cancer in children, and she wrote that very comment, a book more than five years old is worthless about cancer, and that was in, like, 1988. 
so, you know, this is the pace at which medical technology and research is going down. But it's a, um, I don't want to be overdramatic, but my situation is tricky. And so I, I owe it to myself to, to explore every option to get the best doctors I can get. I'm working with doctors both here in Atlanta and up at Duke Cancer Center in North Carolina. And the future, in all honesty, is a little cloudy right now, but we'll just do the best we can and uh, and see what happens. So well, that's where we are. Definitely all the best to you. But in the meantime, Thanks. I want to ask you is, <clears throat> so, and then, of course, um, IG can better figure it out or explain it than I can. But So tell me about the side effects. I'm real curious about this because I've known some people that have had it survived it mm-hmm. I've known some people that mm-hmm. haven't and i've known some people have done the surgical i've heard about the seeds i heard about all this stuff so and i know you made the decision to, to go the route that you did but what kind of side effects are you personally experiencing were you made aware of those side effects and how, yeah. how are you dealing with them the doctors were pretty straightforward about what the potential side effects are now they give you typically you have a list of about 10 or 12 things and any of these things could happen or none of them, um, but it turns out that it's you can pretty reliably count on the effects of the drugs leading to things like nausea, constipation, extreme fatigue, and that's been my single biggest problem is fatigue, just not having a lot of energy to do things. Um, and there are other things that can happen. Um, your taste changes. You get uh, ringing in the ears, tinnitus, um, all of these sorts of things, tingling in your fingers and toes. Any and all of these things can happen. Uh, And you need to be aware of the odd things that should not happen but could crop up, like fevers and so on, because your immune system through the chemotherapy process is suppressed. You know, the the drugs they use, uh, you'd like them to be as specific as possible to attack the cancer, but they can also just attack the, the good cells in your body, and that can lead to compromised situations in terms of your ability to fight off other things, such as the cold or flu or, good Lord, coronavirus or anything else out there. So you, you really have to take charge of your own health. And, and I've seen that emphasized time and again. You have to question everything. Expect answers from your doctors. If you're not getting them to your satisfaction, maybe you need to have a look at another doctor. Um, because it's, uh, again, you, you owe it to yourself. The chemo, now, as the, and you know, you, you mentioned that in the last five years, the technology has mm-hmm. changed and, and, and we've made advances in it. Is the chemo today uh, a different composition than it was years ago? Is it uh, is it harder on the body? Is it worse on the body? I mean, does it? It's kind of. It's almost as if. All right, does the chemo have a brain and go right to the cancer and take care of it, or how do, how exactly well, does that work? Um, I'm not sure I can answer that with a high degree of effectiveness. I will say that <laughs> that medical science is working hard to to minimize the negative aspects and maximize the positive. When you go in for chemotherapy. Typically, you go to a clinic that has a pharmaceutical division, and they will prepare the particular dosage and the, the, uh, the saline that they'll use to keep you hydrated and all these other things 
and they will customize it to you based on your doctor's recommendation. Which drugs are we using? In what concentrations? In what volume? And uh, yeah, it's like your my own chemo, personal cocktail. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly that. In fact, the nurses will come up to you and they'll ask you over and over and over again, tell me your full name, tell me your birth date, and then they will read the label to each other. They will come in a pair, they will confirm everything on the label, on the on the bag, and then they will hang that on the rack and stick it to the IV in your arm, and away you go. Um, and in their never-ending search to find really effective responses to specific strains of the disease, um, different different drugs even get repurposed. Um, mm. One of the drugs that's being used on me, for example, is best known as a lung cancer or breast cancer drug, uh, but it has shown promise in, uh, in other cancers, so they're trying that as well. Uh, it's, a, it's a tremendously broad science and practice, and it's, um, I, I really admire the doctors that can just stay on top of everything that's happening at great length. And it's not all pulling in the same direction. There are conflicting theories. Um, there are holistic options out there that, um, that some very well-meaning people have pressed upon me. You know, oh, don't do that, do this. Talk to my doctor, not that doctor. You know, it's, it's, people have opinions, and it's a, it's a practice, as, as we used to say about the law. The medicine's the same way. It's a practice. It's, uh, it's part art, part science. And uh, a whole lot of experience and deep thinking and hopefully proper conclusions being drawn. Well, how long do you go through the process? When you go through chemo treatment, how long does that, uh, how long does that take? Well, that too varies from individual to individual. Okay. I was originally scheduled for six rounds, three weeks per round, of a very specific and repeated drug cocktail. After the first round... The doctors decided it would be a better idea to alternate different drug cocktails. And so they reduced the number of cycles from six to four. It became a much more rigorous process for the, uh, for the alternating cycles. I actually check into a hospital because the drugs are so powerful that they, they, can, they can do damage. And so they need to be very, very certain that I'm constantly hydrated. So in the hospital, they can hook me up and just hang another bag of saline there and, and keep, me, uh, keep my kidneys and, and other organs protected while they, uh, while they work on this. And the process takes how long? How long are you hooked up to an IV? Well, in the case of the, my so-called outpatient chemo cycles, I go in for about five hours a day at a local clinic. Oh my for gosh. For the inpatient cycles in the hospital, I'll be in a hospital bed for four to five days nonstop. Oh my gosh, Bob, that's uh, that's 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 serious stuff Very here. Serious. Mm -hmm. It wow. is serious. I had and, no idea. Um, well, it's life. Wow. I've been very lucky, very, very fortunate. And hopefully, uh, I'll live a long time when we when we get around this. But there's always the chance that we won't. And um, you know, it's up to each individual, I suppose, to uh, come to terms with that.
but I've asked my doctors to be as upfront and honest with me as they can be, and they've agreed to do that, and they've, they've assured me that we are attacking this with a curative intent rather than a mere palliative or, you know, make-me-comfortable kind of intent. And um, fingers are crossed. I'm just going to be the best patient I can be and hope for the best. Can we talk about racing and cars? Yes, now? I was just going to say, yeah, 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 yeah. So what have you been up to as far? Now, I'll tell you what. I was at, uh, I'm trying to think where I was at. It might have been out in Monterey or someplace like that, but I actually saw the Porsche E, uh, yeah, the electric race car that they're working on. Formula E car. Formula yeah. E car. So mm-hmm. I know you're following it. I know you were involved in that. And, I, and I'll yep. be honest with you. I still can't get the electric car thing but i uh-huh. you know i actually i feel threatened by it but that's just me i'm a car <laughs> guy um but go ahead tell us put put your spin on it let's tell us well hey remember these are you know, electric cars or cars there was electric cars before there was internal combustion engines well, there were steam cars before yep. there were ICEs. you know it's just the nature of the beast okay and you know the internal combustion engine is not going anywhere um i think there's a strong self-preservation vein in uh in the automobile business, but there's no question that that electrification is where everybody's going. Whether you choose to drive an electric car or not, that's up to you. Um, but I have to say that working with the Formula E people and seeing the enthusiasm and the sheer manufacturer support for the project with nine big international car makers involved, it's exciting to see. And uh, the series that spawned Formula E that same company is going to come up with an off-road series, you've probably heard of it, called Extreme E. Yes. And those off-road vehicles are spectacular, fast and powerful. They'll make a, a great, great show. Um, and it's, you know, it's just the way of the world. So you know, while, we, while we restore and nurture our vintage and collectible cars and race the ICE-powered cars that we have currently... Um, you know, looking ahead, there's something coming down the road, and it's going to be interesting to see how it all develops. Now, having said that, it was, I mean, this year is, to me, uh, a real tipping point, a real critical year for motorsports, not so much because of the cars themselves. And of course, there's radical new rules coming for Formula One, for NASCAR. Just about every major series is planning rules changes that will probably change the nature of the sport pretty fundamentally. But on top of that, you've got this cloud hanging over the entire season because of this worldwide health crisis of the coronavirus that could lead to canceling events. I mean, imagine you're trying to put together the Formula E schedule, which originally included a race in Hong Kong that went away because civil unrest there, Sanya, China, which was canceled because of the coronavirus. Now their next event is in Rome, where... The Italian government is discovering new cases of the spread of this disease all the time. And after that, they're supposed to go to Seoul, Korea, which is, you know, one of the worldwide hotspots for this disease. So, I mean, everybody's looking around. This has never happened before. What do we do? Big public events are being canceled. You just hold the races with no spectators and just put them on TV. I mean, it's a it's a stunning and fascinating to me question of how this amazing sport that we all love responds to these real world problems that nobody anticipated so really if you if you draw a parallel there on it is you know like mm-hmm. when we had a let's just say a 
pretty serious recession back in in the mid 2000s there and it obviously affected racing and teams and some teams came and went this probably could have a bigger impact on a worldwide basis then is what you're saying oh absolutely i mean absolutely consider where all the car parts come from around the world i mean it's an international sport in the biggest possible way and not just the sport but the streetcar industry Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's it's so these supply chains are being affected in ways that we never could have imagined. Um, yeah, I think it's 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 really interesting. Even if the coronavirus issue didn't exist, NASCAR talking to go to single hub aluminum alloy wheels with their all new car that Gene Haas. I don't know if you follow the Drive to Survive Formula One series on Netflix, which is now in its second season. You can stream it at Netflix. Gene Haas is on there. His Haas Formula One team is a, a real popular um, part of that broad, of the broadcast. Um, I mean, he's looking hard at the situation, saying these rules changes are way too expensive. Uh, the financial return in racing is not up to par, particularly for smaller teams that, that aren't as successful on a regular basis as the big teams. And keep in mind, Gene Oz has has cars in NASCAR as well as in Formula One. He's not happy with either series right now, I think, uh, because of the rules changes, which I suppose certainly have their own reasons for being, and they're valid. But as my old colleague David Hobbs liked to say, nobody ever saved money by changing the rules. <laughs> That's true. Well, you know, it's kind of like I'm not a big fan of spec racing. NASCAR is getting more and more spec, turning more and more into a spec racing. So mm-hmm. is Indy. But the idea was to contain cost, to make the cars equal, and then it became a uh, you know a game of the driver driver. It became a game of driverability. Right. So if 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 they put single hub you know pinlock wheels on a nascar which i just saw that the other day when i was looking yeah. and i thought okay yeah and then i guess they're going to fuel injection and now there were some rumors about the chassis being changed uh um, oh yeah changed remarkably and they'll be built by delara yeah uh, who, who electronic did... fuel injection has been there for a while and those fuel injection units are built by the mclaren formula one engineering group but the tire sizes are changing and you know this is not change just for the sake of change there are changes for safety changes for cost containment and changes just because the money comes from the manufacturers and this is what they want you know do you do do tire companies want to be producing nobody nobody puts 15 inch wheels on their Hmm. car everybody's got you know 18 19 inch wheels aluminum alloy they're lighter than steel you know it's there's there's lots of good valid reasons but the bottom line is it all comes down to if you want to go race you have to have a car made up of these components and good luck making that happen, Mr. Independent Entrepreneur. <laughs> wow. I mean, that's part of the American, you know, the the whole American lore of auto racing is the, you know, the fierce independent. The, mm-hmm. Not only the guys we know, like the Dan Gurneys and whatnot, but, the you know, just the, the, the weeknight short track racers. Just looking for the bits and pieces they need to go out and... And do what they want to do, and it's a very delicate balance. I think you have to strike to um, to allow them to do that and keep car counts up, keep the action interesting, keep selling tickets, and all the things that go into the sport we all love. Well, you know what, and we only got about a uh, 
20, couple 20 seconds left here, but Bob, to your point, mm-hmm. you know, it's going to like the big, big, the big money racing versus the local short track guys and the little drag racers and stuff like that. There's just going to be this big diverse uh, division between the two groups. And then if you aspire to move up to the big world, you're going to have to have serious money because the little guy's out. Well, to some extent, that's true. You need to pick your level. Mm-hmm. You know, we always used to tell young drivers, you want to be successful, pick a series where you can win, where you can be competitive and be successful. So, you know, for a, a little guy who's who's counting his nickels and dimes, I don't expect to go up against the Rick Hendricks and Roger Penske's of the world. But there's certainly still a place in motorsports for that guy to go out and compete. And I hope that never changes. On that note, Bob, I wish you the best of luck. Again, I want to thank you very much for hanging out with us here at Nostalgic Window and Cars. We will touch base, and I will have you on again probably within the next six months or so. We'll talk more okay. about racing, see how you're doing. And again, the best of luck to you. And uh, you know, you'll be missing some of these events that I go to, So, but we'll be talking about you. We'll be praying for you. I'll be getting back there sooner than later. Thank okay. you, Dad. Very good. I want to thank my special guest, Bob Varsha, the legendary motorsports commentator, good friend of mine, super nice guy, very inspirational when I first got into business on the radio. He says, Robert, you're a color commentator. Just remember that. Bob, thank you very much. The best of luck to you again. Hey, don't forget to check out our website, GolfStreetMotorsports.com. Don't forget to check us out here every Tuesday night for the most fascinating legendary names in motorsports, right here on the Tantalk Radio Network. Uh, Race is going on this weekend. Check our website. And don't forget to follow us on our social media. In the meantime, IG, thank you for hanging out with us. Tommy, thanks for the million-dollar idea. A little late, but, you know, maybe next time. In the meantime, everybody, stay safe, drive carefully, and love your family. WTAN, Clearwater, FM 106.1, WDCF, Dade City, FM 102.3, WZHR, Zephyr Hills, FM 104.3. Listen.